You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the Sermon on the Mount. Now looking at hungry. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. This is Sermon on the Mount, Lesson 5 on hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But before we get into our text, which is Matthew 5, 6, let's review last time. Blessed are the meek. We saw that the word meek, which comes from an old word meaning soft, does not mean weak. It's actually a very positive characteristic. In fact, Jesus described himself as being meek. I offered Mary, the sister of Martha, as a great example of someone who was soft and listening. Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth. That doesn't happen in this world, but it will in the next. The world's notion of power is not godly. And when we are meek before the Lord, we will exhibit the same quality before our fellow humans. Well, it's time to look at today's beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. What does this mean? I admit, when I first look at this, I tend to connect it with passages like Matthew 4.4, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, or other passages in the Bible on hungering and thirsting. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. That is in John 6 and John 7. Or maybe Old Testament passages, like Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants after the water brooks, so my soul pants after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. But even though it's tempting to look up all the passages on hunger and thirst, uh, to try to get insight into what Jesus meant, it could throw us off. It could push us in the wrong direction. After all, do the passages I just read explain the fourth beatitude? Do they clarify what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Righteousness isn't mere knowledge. We hunger and thirst, I hope we hunger and thirst for the word of God, but that's not what our passage says. Righteousness is not even being right with the Lord, as in longing for our own righteous standing before God so we can be confident. That's not what this passage is talking about. In fact, the passage isn't talking about desiring a relationship with God at all. What is righteousness? Well, it's a desire for justice for oneself, especially when one is suffering oppression or injustice. Further, righteousness is a desire for justice for others. And that goes hand in hand with concern for the poor and needy. In the following chapter, 633, a very well-known verse, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, Jesus says, well, there will be justice only when all parties respect the lordship of Jesus at least in this life. So the righteousness that we're encouraged to seek 
has to do with the way we interact with other people, particularly those who are suffering injustice. Now, I've never taught this verse that way. But in preparing for this short podcast, I became convinced that I was reading it the wrong way. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, hunger and thirst for knowledge or for relationship with God or for right standing or that Jesus takes our sin upon him. Yes, there are many things we hunger and thirst for, and I can give you a lot more verses. The question is, what does this passage mean? Not what do we feel it might mean or what passages is it possibly connected with? It's not really a great method just to look for common words and then assume that two verses in Scripture are connected. We need to remember to appreciate the Beatitudes in the light of Isaiah 61, the passage which I've read several times, and I'm going to do it again in just a moment. As we'll see, this is tremendously good news, the Nazareth Manifesto, what Jesus read out as he began his public ministry in Nazareth. It was tremendously good news, especially for those deprived of justice, for the have-nots, for the masses of common people, as opposed to the religious aristocracy. Let's listen. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they will rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they will possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. I'd like to emphasize these phrases. Good news, poor, brokenhearted, captives, prison, comfort, gladness, righteousness, joy. So this is tremendously good news. And it would have been heard differently by those who were oppressed, by those who were not receiving justice, than it would be appreciated by those who were powerful or wealthy. Now, when Jesus read these words, did he mean to say that the downtrodden have already received full deliverance, vindication, justice, satisfaction? No, of course not. But a new day has dawned. Something has been set into motion. Something new is happening. It's been launched. It's inaugurated. It's underway. And that is tremendously good news. So what are we supposed to do? And if we feel like we're being treated fine, are we expected to hunger and thirst for righteousness in the world, righteousness for others? I think we are. So what should we do? Well, I've got some ideas. One would be simply to become aware. That is, keep up with the news. Maybe you follow the world news, as I do. But at least I think we can become aware of what's happening in our town, in our region, in our country. It's not enough just to 
watch the news. That could turn us into activists, I suppose. But we need to read the scriptures. We really need to read God's word on this important theme. And then do something. Plug in somewhere. Maybe it's helping in a soup kitchen. A lot of Christians do that. I have a friend who had a heart for seniors who were not eating well and who were being let down by their government. And he found a way to give them healthy meals. Or maybe it's just visiting seniors in an old people's home where loneliness is palpable. Our world has so many needs, medical needs. Maybe you could become part of Doctors Without Borders. I think we're aware that slavery has come back. There are millions. I think the estimate I saw last year was four to five million humans who are actually slaves right now. And then there's human trafficking, which is closely connected with that. Uh, you could be part of an organization that's doing great things, like Hope Worldwide, or dozens of others. But to plug in somewhere, and you say, well, I just don't know what, if I can do this with my time. Well, I think you can. But even if you couldn't, you could make money and help to fund a worthwhile program, ideally a worthwhile, effective program, one you really believe in. And those of us who are blessed financially can do something there. Now, don't dilute the punch of Matthew 5, 6 by labeling it the social gospel. The social gospel historically um, had a heart, has had a heart for uh, the poor or those who um, or just really living hand to mouth. And sometimes uh, that has replaced the gospel message itself of Jesus' entrance into the world, his death, burial, resurrection, <clears throat> his appearances, his ascension, and pouring out the Spirit, the second coming. The social gospel could end up just focusing on a small part of Jesus' overall program. But to take out social concern, to numb our social conscience and call that the social gospel and say it's not important, all that's important is people's souls, that's not right. Don't dilute the punch of this passage. The gospel is good news for everyone, not just the middle class. And in all too many churches I've visited, it's the middle class or the upper middle class even who seem to um, predominate numerically. Now, I don't want to make false comparisons between the 21st and the 1st centuries. But in the early church, we know from the critics of Christianity, there were a lot of lower class people, not just the working class, but many slaves as well. And there were some upper class. And 1 Corinthians 1 is a passage, of verse 26-27, mentions that uh, in Corinth, which was a fairly good-sized city, there were some who were high-born but not many. And I think in a typical church in which I visit and speak, it's almost the opposite. Most people are doing just fine, especially if they're living in North America or Europe, and there may be a few poor, it, as though Paul would change that verse in 1 Corinthians to say, well, you know, consider you know, who you are. Not many of you are poor. Not many of you were disadvantaged. <laughs> it's like a to it's total opposite. But I think it's because the gospel has been given a different flavor now. And if we would pay attention to this, this beatitude, actually all the beatitudes, uh, then that, that, that might change. But we can't read them too quickly. 
We need to let it sink in. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Lord, help us today to be humble before your word and to see familiar verses in new ways and more biblical ways, even if that means we need to change. We don't want to just be governed by fear or controlled by desire to not be inconvenienced. Help us to put ourselves out there the way Jesus did. In his name, amen. Well, our next uh, lesson, uh, it's number six, is closely connected to this one, and that's where we look at mercy. God bless. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's series on the Sermon on the Mount. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.